In 2010, Cami and I were on our second uh, mission trip to Mozambique in Africa, where we spent a week uh, with kind of this intense life-on-life discipleship with Mozambican students. Uh, we, we put on this camp that was uh, geared for students between the ages of about 15 to about 22, um, and, and it was a very unique camp because we uh, really, it was incarnational. We got to stay with these uh, Mozambican students. And, and so we got to know them very, very well. The, the guy that I stayed with, his name was Armando, uh, and Cammy's roommate was named Selena. And, and so we got to kind of enmesh ourselves with these uh, students for this, this week, and it was just an incredible uh, journey of getting to share our testimony, share this gospel that has so transformed our hearts and lives with these students, many of whom had no idea who Jesus was. And, and uh, the next to last day on the trip, we wanted to, to spend some focused time in prayer. And so we had this, this prayer time where we had the students sit down in a circle, and each person from our team went around laying on hands and praying specifically for the Lord to reveal himself to these students if they had made professions of faith, that he would encourage them and, and strengthen them in that walk. And, and as we're praying... We're kind of in this circle, and uh, the missionary, one of the missionaries who was there on the ground, who was with us that week, uh, began to anoint Selena's head with oil. And in an instant, the entire, the, the feeling, the, the, everything that was going on changed dramatically. She erupted with the most primal and guttural scream that I have ever heard, and then she flies out of her chair uh, and begins to sprint across the circle. I happened to be on the opposite side of the circle from her, praying over the student that was there. Uh, And so she's coming directly at us. And just before she gets to us, she jumps. And we kind of lean out of the way just in time for her to fly past without uh, slamming into us. And she hits the wall behind us, and she begins to claw at the wall as though she's trying to go through it. And and at this point, my brain is just kind of trying to process what's happened. I'm still processing the scream as she begins to find her way to the door that was just to her right and she gets out of the door and begins to run off. And, and in that moment, uh, I had not gathered the fact that we were facing something that was deeply spiritual. That we had come into contact with the demonic, and this, this demonic presence was not pleased that we were trying to bring Selena and others to know Jesus Christ and the power that he has to set them free. And our first point today that I want to kind of draw out of the text is that gospel ministry will be met with opposition. Gospel ministry will be met with opposition. Fernando already read it, but I want to read verses 4 to 8 so we can see some of this play out. It says this, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that's, that's John Mark, Uh, with them to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith." So what's going on here? I want to draw out a few things. 
First, let's notice that uh, this is in response to what happened in the first three verses of chapter 13, that the Holy Spirit is instigating and driving this. Did you see at the beginning of verse 4? The Holy Spirit sent them out. And the first thing that they began to do as they're on this missionary journey is to proclaim the word of God. They're not going and just doing humanitarian aid stuff. They're not just being nice to people. They're going out and they're sharing God's word clearly with people. And it's the spirit that is leading them step by step throughout this journey, sending them to go find this boat to get onto Cyprus. And then as they journey throughout Cyprus and they end up in a city called Paphos, which was intentional. See, Paphos was the Roman capital of Cyprus. Now, the entire island of Cyprus was fairly cosmopolitan, very diverse, lots of different people there. But here in Paphos, this is kind of the epicenter of all of it. This is where culture is kind of emanating from. This is where the distinguished and the the ruling class lived. So there was a lot of influence that was happening there in Paphos that was changing the, the, the landscape of the island as a whole. Paphos was also known for their, their worship of this goddess that was the goddess of sensuality and passion. And so it was a very licentious place. Uh, there was varied mixed beliefs that were, were kind of flowing through it. It was very, very pagan, and it's all kind of entwined together. Then we come across this, this Roman ruler. He was kind of the governor of this, this, uh, this city and this island. And the assumption is, is that Sergius Paulus had heard about what Saul and Barnabas were preaching, that they had this message of salvation, and he was interested in this. And, and, and it, we're told that he is a man of intelligence. He's not some dummy. He's not, you know, foolish. He is a man of intelligence. He is a learned man. And he invites Saul and Barnabas to come and tell him what they're doing. This is Fairly remarkable because the Roman ruling class, by and large, did not take too much interest in the religions that were uh, kind of in their purview. They were, con- they were concerned with, with basically ruling and making sure that everybody that they were ruling was staying in subjection to them. So, so all of the religions, they didn't really care too much about what was going on. They just wanted to know that they weren't going to rebel, that they would be able to maintain their control and their position uh, in, in, in the, the city, in the area. And, and so if the religions that were under their rule were able to survive, it's great, but they really took very little interest typically uh, in doing that. But here we find Sergius Paulus. He's like, hey, I, I want to know what these guys are preaching. So they go, and they, they're going to meet him. And on the way, they, they, as they're coming into his uh, presence, they encounter this guy, Bar-Jesus, uh, who's described as a false prophet. And apparently, he's kind of enmeshed himself in Sergius Paulus's entourage, and he's been using magic or, or whatever to kind of uh, work his way up to power uh, within this guy's entourage. And the text tells us that he was actively opposing Paul, uh, Saul and Barnabas's message. But why? Let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, his name begins to tell you a lot. Bar Jesus. It means literally son of Jesus. We could extrapolate that out. Son of salvation. So he's kind of set himself up as being the one that has this uh, salvific message, if you will, uh, that Sergius Paulus is going to respond to. And so he's established himself here. He's worked his, his way up in the ranks, and he had an agenda that he knew that if the gospel message got to Sergius Paulus, 
his own position might be called into question and he may be cast away from his presence. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, think Grimma Wormtongue, who was in control of Theoden, a king of Rohan. This, this is who Bar-Jesus is. He's evil, he's twisted, he's wicked, he's only trying to maintain his own position of prominence, prominence as one of the advisors to Paulus. What's really interesting to see that as the Lord calls Saul and Barnabas out, he doesn't clear this guy to the side. He doesn't remove the opposition. He doesn't steer them around the opposition. In fact, he leads them straight into the teeth of opposition. And the problem that we have with this is that we don't like to think of the Lord as doing stuff like this, that he would steer us intentionally into something that would oppose us or that would come against us, or perhaps something that would be painful or, or difficult for us to endure. So what, what is the application for our lives? The application is this. Here's, here's the deal. We will meet opposition if we're committed to sharing the gospel with people. We will meet opposition uh, when we share the gospel with people. And this should not surprise us, but often it does. It often surprises me. I, I meet opposition, I'm like, what gives, Lord? Come on, you told me to do this. But as you look throughout Scripture, we see this time and time and time again. You have Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up imprisoned in Egypt. You have Moses, who uh, battled with Pharaoh to try and release God's people. Joshua colliding with the people that were living uh, in the promised land that God had given to Israel. We have uh, David with the ongoing feud with King Saul. Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den. G uh, John the Baptist, who uh, was arrested and ultimately beheaded. And then Jesus, who went to the cross. You see, there is opposition in the way when God calls us to his purpose. And along our journey to make much of Jesus, opposition is part of the package. And I've had conversations with so many of you about this. You tell me, it's like I'm trying to share the gospel with my friend but I keep running up against these walls. They find excuses to not meet or something, or something happens and I'm not able to share the gospel. I experience this as well. Why? Because here's the deal. The enemy does not give up territory without a fight. The enemy does not give up territory without a fight. And we've got to prepare for this. If we are not prepared for the opposition... When it comes, we're going to be shocked and we're going to be ineffective at carrying the gospel to the people that so desperately need it. Matthew Henry said this, those who are not prepared to face opposition and to endure hardship are not fitted for the work of the ministry. Those who are not prepared to face opposition and to endure hardship are not fitted for the work of the ministry. You see, that was me when we went to Mozambique. I was not prepared for the spiritual opposition that we were going to encounter. And the result was, is that I was engaging in a spiritual battle with physical means. This is the proverbial bringing a knife to a gunfight. So when Selena ran out the door uh, and, and she took off, again, my, my head is spinning. I'm trying to process it all. But before I, I knew really what was happening, I found myself running after her. So I ran out the door, I, I see her around the corner, and as I'm rounding the corner, uh, I, I kind of have this thought go through my head, it, it's, it's this, I'm chasing a demon, which is mildly disconcerting. 
especially for a fairly young college pastor at a Southern Baptist church. <laughs> Barely talk about the Holy Spirit, much less demons. And then, add to that, at the seminary that I went to, they didn't have Demon Chasing 101. So I'm kind of like going, I'm like, do I really want to be doing this? And I'm like, slowing down a bit, and I'm like, I've got to do this. So I, I started, I kept running. I get around the corner, and I see her, and she's headed straight down to this busy street, and beyond that was the ocean. And I had this thought, she's going to get hit by a car, she's going to make it to the ocean, she's going to drown. I felt completely helpless, because there was no chance I was going to catch her. And so I, I didn't know what else to do. I screamed as loud as I could. I said, stop! And I kid you not, she went from a dead sprint to completely stopped in her tracks. And it was like somebody had glued her feet to the ground. She was standing there, it looked like she was trying to move, but couldn't. And again, it's like your brain's like, what is happening here? And so I was like, it worked. <laughs> now what? <laughs> and so I'm a little bit, I run up to her, and I was like, I can't let her get away. And so I, I bear hugged her. And so now I'm no longer chasing a demon, I'm holding one. <laughs> and I remember looking in her eyes, and she had this kind of vapid, empty look. It, it reminded me of like an animal that's been cornered, and it was horrifying. Again, I have no idea what to do, so I start praying, and I'm saying, in the name of Jesus, you're not welcome here. Leave. <laughs> Probably more scared sounding than that. And, and that's all I could do was pray, Lord Jesus, send this thing away, <laughs> take care of this situation. And so uh, a few moments later, the rest of the team kind of made their way out, and before too long, we are all standing around uh, Selena praying in the name of Jesus. And I remember the missionary spoke up, and, and there was just this authority and boldness in his voice, and he demanded to know the name of the spirit that was manifesting. And, and I remember this. I cannot get her voice out of my head or its voice out of my head. Uh, Selena spoke, but it wasn't her voice. And it claimed that this was the spirit of her dead grandmother. And the missionary, with boldness, rebuked the spirit and said, leave. And then just as quickly as everything escalated, Selena passed out cold. And I remember being shocked by the authority by which that missionary spoke. There, there wasn't hesitation. It was boldness. Stop and leave. That brings me to my second point. We must boldly rebuke evil and call people to repentance. We must boldly rebuke evil and call people to repentance. Look at verses 9 to 11 here. We're going to see this play out. We're going to watch what Paul does. But Saul, who is also called Paul, this is the transition. He's no longer really called Saul anymore. He's now Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So, so imagine Paul gazing. He's giving him those eyes, almost like he's looking straight through this guy. And he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So Paul looks at Bar-Jesus, and he quickly rattles off five accusations against him. You're a son of the devil. You say you're son of Jesus, son of salvation. You're not. You're the son of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness. You are full of deceit. You are full of villainy. And you won't stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Why is Paul so fired up about this? 
Because it's one thing if this guy doesn't want to respond to the gospel and doesn't want to believe it. It's entirely something else when he is actively trying to stop somebody else from encountering the resurrected Savior. And this fired Jesus up as well. You look at how he spoke to the scribes and Pharisees, and you'll see this exact same thing. In Matthew 23, verse 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who enter, who would enter, to go in. See, bar Jesus, he was focused on keeping Paulus in the dark, because as long as Paulus is in the dark, he can continue to profit off of his lostness. And when Paul looks at this guy and rebukes him strongly, he does so so that Sergius Paulus can encounter the gospel, but he also does so for a purpose for bar Jesus, I think. This is a bit of conjecture, but I think that Paul hoped that Bar-Jesus' physical blindness would alert him to his spiritual blindness. I think Paul was thinking back to that road to Damascus where he was knocked off his horse and struck blind and he's wandering about trying to find somebody to lead him by the hand. That's exactly where we see Bar-Jesus. He's looking for somebody to lead him by the hand. And Paul said that he would be unable to see the sun for a time. So apparently this was to be a temporary blindness, just like Paul had experienced just four chapters earlier in Acts. So what do we take from this? What's the application? We've got to take a strong stand against evil, and we have to speak up against sin. We have to call people to repentance because we cannot peddle this cheap grace that allows people to continue in sinful and destructive behaviors. And I think this is one of the, probably the more difficult things for us to do in our day and age, in our culture. It it is very hard for us to call people out and call out sin. Um, And and there are several reasons for that. One, I think that we're more afraid of of offending people than we are of offending God. We don't want to be canceled. I, I think that we value the approval of man over the approval of God. And I think that the other reason is that one of the highest values in our culture is this idea of tolerance, where it's like, whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to think, you do you. And we never call people to repentance, and therefore, they're stuck in their sin. I think probably the one that's most terrifying to me is we don't do this Because deep down in our own hearts and souls, maybe we don't believe that that's necessary. Meanwhile, we stand idly by as people go skipping into hell, none the wiser. Here's the deal. Listen, harsh and hard words, the point of them are not simply to injure people. The point of these harsh words for Bar-Jesus is not just to injure him. It's to awaken him to his brokenness and his sin. When uh, Selena came to, uh, she was kind of completely back to normal. Her voice was back to her own. Her eyes were back to her normal uh, self. She just looked a little bit tired and confused. And she shared with us that she was indeed host to the spirit of her dead grandmother, um, which, by the way, it's not her dead grandmother. It was a demon posing as her dead grandmother. And that she had been dedicated to the spirit since before she was born. 
And we explained to her that if she was willing to cooperate with the work of Jesus, that he would fill her, that he would drive this spirit out, and that she could be free from her bondage. So we prayed over her, and we asked the Lord to deliver her, uh, but nothing seemed to happen. And what became clear is that Selena had zero interest in actually being free of this spirit. She did not see this as bondage. She saw this as just a part of who she was. And so nothing seemed to happen. After we went home, I followed up with the missionary for several months to find out how she was doing. Uh, and, and what he told me is that she had continued to gather with the, the fellowship there for uh, a season, uh, but she became increasingly more uh, disruptive and actually began trying to lead the, the young Christians astray, in, including trying to seduce some of the young men in particular. And, and it was at this point that the missionary told her, you cannot be here anymore. You have to leave. The crazy thing about this is after all of this stuff went down, there were many of those students that made professions of faith for Jesus. Many of them. And I don't know where Selena is today. I don't know if she's still wandering around Mozambique somewhere tied up with the spirit of her dead grandmother or if she ever got deliverance from that. But here's what I do know. That the opposition that we encountered when we were there and it continued after we left, there is a direct correlation between that and the gospel fruit that was produced. My last point is this. Opposition can be a tool for gospel transformation. Opposition can be a tool for gospel transformation. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You know, we're not told what happened with Bar Jesus. That's kind of left open. Because here's the deal, the story isn't about Bar-Jesus and his salvation. The story is about how Paul and Barnabas encountered opposition and overcame it with the power of the Holy Spirit and how a Roman ruling official encountered the gospel. See, Paulus, Sergius Paulus was already interested in this message that Paul and Barnabas were sharing. But it wasn't until he witnessed Bar-Jesus struck blind and then trying to find people to lead him around by the hand that he believed. And the thing that I wonder is that had Bar-Jesus not been there, would Sergius Paulus have believed? If, if Bar-Jesus had not been struck blind, would Paulus have been in awe and astonished at the Lord and his power? Listen, I know that opposition uh, is a difficult thing to endure, and sometimes it's downright scary. But you must remember that often the Lord is leading us into that opposition so that he can prove himself bigger and more powerful than that. And if the Lord leads you towards opposition, it's not to punish you. It's not to make life unnecessarily harsh or hard. He's doing so so that he can receive the glory from that. So what's our application? Listen, Christ follower, when you're seeking to share the gospel with your friends, with your neighbors, with your roommate, with your co-workers, your classmates, and you meet opposition, be encouraged because you are making a positive impact and Jesus is going to shine through you. Keep pressing in and let the Holy Spirit give you the words that you're going to need. And remember that that opposition that you face may be the very thing that the Lord uses to draw that person into salvation. And if that happens, if that happens, wouldn't all of that opposition, wouldn't all of that pain, wouldn't all that hurt of trying to reach that person have been worth it? I want to close with this. I want you to think about something. 
I want you to think about the opposition that people faced trying to share the gospel message with you. I want you to think about all of the things that were in the way for you to encounter the saving message of Jesus. And the people that despised the opposition and said, I'm going to continue to bring this gospel to this person. What if that person decided it's, it's, they're too far gone? He's too harsh. She's too bitter. They're too hardened towards this gospel message. Would you be sitting here today? See, I spent most of my life, early life, as a pretty hardened atheist. I was cruel to Christians. I, I kind of viewed them as simple-minded. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. I, I wanted to be my own God, do my own thing, live for myself. Don't tell me what to do. And the opposition that others faced when they pursued me with this gospel message was harsh. And it came from me. But thank God that they persisted. Thank God that they despised that opposition and said, I love you too much to not share this gospel message with you. And today I'm convinced that because of the faithfulness of these people and more importantly, the grace and mercy of God, that I am following Jesus. My question for you is, are you going to be that person for somebody else? Listen, Christ follower, you are going to need the strength of the Holy Spirit to be able to walk in this. You're not going to do it on your own strength. You're not going to do it on your own power. You need the Lord to do that. So as we close in prayer, talk to the Lord. Ask him for that strength. In the same way that he sent out Saul and Barnabas, say, Lord, send me to that person, to those people. Pray for obedience to his call, knowing that you will likely be led directly into opposition, but it's going to provide you with an opportunity to be bold, and this could lead to somebody coming to know Jesus. Some of you in here, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And others, maybe you're just playing church, but you've never had that kind of personal moment of surrender to Jesus. Say, Lord, take my heart, take my life, use me however you want to use me. And here's a, a reality that you're going to need to confront. If you persist in that, you look forward to a Christless eternity. So my question to you is, will you, like Sergius Paulus, be astonished at God's word? And will you respond to that? Will you let the opposition that's standing between you and encountering this saving message of Jesus be shoved to the side so that you can encounter the only one who could save your soul? But just as Selena had to want to be free, from her bondage, you must want to be free of yours and turn that over to the Lord. And if that's you and you're saying, I sense he's calling my name, don't leave here today without responding to the call. We want to walk with you as well. Let us know. We want to be in community with you. We want to get you disciple. We want to see you follow Jesus in, in uh, obedience to his call to be baptized, which you could do next week if that's what the Lord's leading you to do. But don't leave here without doing the business uh, with the Lord that he's called you to. So as I close, believer, pray for boldness, pray for obedience, and then pray for the lost person in here who God's calling out right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
for your word and thank you for the fact that you allow us to be co-laborers with Christ. Thank you that you are faithful to save. Thank you that you allow us to be a part of this journey of bringing people into salvation. Father, for the non-believer in here, I, I pray that you would call their, their name and that they would respond. And God, that you would save them. But God, send us out, make us bold, use us to bring hope to those that have none. Help us to bring light into the darkness. Help us to be bold, knowing that there is no opposition that can stop you and your work from occurring. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're going to respond in worship, but if you need prayer, I'm going to be standing over here off to your left, and Matt Ulrich is going to be on that wall over there. Don't leave here without lifting up the prayers to the Lord. We want to join you in prayer. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, come talk to us. If you want to pray about opposition that you're facing as you're trying to share Jesus with a friend, come talk to us. But whatever it is, respond. Be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing, and you respond. <laughs>